Thank you for taking the time to listen to this audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center. Our prayer is that you'll be encouraged and blessed by the anointed Word of God. If you'd like more information about Apostolic Worship Center and its ministries, visit our website at www.awcnorman.com. One verse of scripture today in your hearing, verse number 21, Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 21. This is Jesus and his response to questions that has been made to him concerning events that were to come. And in his process of describing events in answer to the questions that his disciples have made to him, he points to a period of time very specifically yet in the future. And he describes it in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 21, when he says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. We began last week in this Prophecies Promise series talking about that precious promise of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the certainty of the rapture, the catching away of His body and of His bride. We continue this week talking about another prophetic event that is just as certain to happen. It's a perilous period. It's a time unlike any other moment in our history. But yet, it sets on the records of prophecy And it is at our door. Would you ask the Lord to help us today? Jesus, I'm asking you, Lord, in the next little while, God, that you'd help us in the delivery of the Word of God. Thank you for your presence that's been in this room now. Dear God, the worship you have received, the hearts you have touched, the lives you have affected. And I'm asking you, Lord, that you would move in a great and a wonderful and a mighty way. Yet, dear God, taking your word, quickening it to our spirit. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And can we give the Lord just one more great sound of praise and worship before we're seated today. Just a sound of adoration to Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. And you may be seated. God bless you. We use the word tribulation quite often in our course of daily dialogue. We speak of the word tribulation from the vantage point of hardships, suffering, difficulty, things that are pressing and pushing upon us. We might say a phrase such as this, I'm really going through tribulation right now. What we mean is I am in a great trial. I am in a difficult spot, and I feel as though everything is pressing upon me. To this end, Jesus spoke concerning tribulation when he wrote in the book of John and said that in the world you shall have tribulation. In other words, even though you are born again, even though you are living for God, he said in this present life you will have Moments of difficulty, pressure, hardship, times of sorrow, moments of disappointment. Paul would write concerning that tribulation and he would say that we ought to be patient in tribulation. Now, that's quite a step, isn't it? 
patient in tribulation. In other words, I ought to be a little more tolerant in the difficulties that I'm going through and not feel like that everything is just caving in because it feels like that it's caving in. I need to be patient in tribulation. In fact, Paul would go on to say in Romans chapter 5 that tribulation, our difficult moments, our pressurous times, our moments of disappointment and discouragement, that it develops or it works patience in our lives. So if you're praying for patience, just let me let you in on a little inside secret. The only way to get patience is to get tribulation. So I don't know if you really want to pray for patience because tribulation brings that about. And yet scripture uses this word tribulation in a whole different vein of thought than just our trials and difficulties and hardships and pressures and disappointment. In fact, this word tribulation that is used in its prophetic sense is a word that is spoken of by Old Testament prophets such as Daniel and Jeremiah, Joel and many others. And it speaks of an an ominous time of darkness and dreadfulness that would come upon the face of the earth, a time that would go beyond life's normal difficulties, life's normal pressures, life's normal backsets that we might have. Jesus, in our text this morning, spoke specifically of this period of time when He says in Matthew 24 and 21 that then shall be, and He terms it this way, great tribulation. And he said, this period of time is going to be unlike any other period that we have ever known before. We've known hardship and difficulty and moments of frustration and anxiety and times when we wish to wring our hands and throw our hands in the air. But he said, this would be a time of such difficulty, such trial. In fact, he would go on to describe that there has never been a time like this, nor ever shall be that this time that belongs to this prophetic moment called the tribulation is unlike any other time that has ever existed upon the face of God's green earth. The prophet Joel, when he writes in his his book of, of Joel, he writes in that first chapter of events that have transpired in the nation of Israel. Actually, they were judgments that came from God because of her backsliding and of her turning away from God. And he writes in that first chapter and says that they have dealt with the palmer worm and they've dealt with the locust and the canker worm and the caterpillar, and this has brought great destruction to the land. But then he opens the second chapter of the book of Joel, and he speaks of a day that is yet to come. And when he writes in the second chapter, in the second verse of his book, he says there's a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the morning is spread upon the mountains. And then he says, there hath not been ever the like. 
neither shall be any more after it even to the years of many generations. In other words, the prophet Joel is acknowledging you've had difficulty in the first chapter with the locust and the palmer worm and the canker worm and the caterpillar and that has been great destruction. But he said there is yet a time to come that will supersede, that will fall into another dimension, a time that man has never known before. It must not be thought that this period called the tribulation is some passing moment that is isolated on some rare spot of the globe that will leave us unaffected in the rest of the world. Rather, Daniel describes a specific period that would stretch worldwide when he speaks concerning the tribulation. He writes about this specific time in Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 24 as he gives to us his vision concerning the time called the tribulation. He begins in that 24th verse saying, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. And it's to finish the transgression and it's to make an end of sins. It's to make reconciliation for iniquity. It's to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Daniel says he saw a time that was a span of 70 weeks or 70 sets of 7 years. 70 times 7 is 490 years that Daniel sees that would be given in judgment upon the nation of Israel because of her sin and because of her rejection of the things of God. He goes further to describe this this set this 490 years this specific time by breaking it down into two very definite segments when he writes in Daniel chapter 9 verses 25 and 26 and he describes a part of those 70 years of being 480 years from the time that the commandment was given by a Persian king to rebuild Jerusalem's temple after she came from captivity until the time of the Messiah, His crucifixion, and the destruction of Jerusalem that somewhere around 445 B.C. to 70 A.D. would be 483 years. These years would be of judgment upon the nation of Israel. And yet, he left one remaining week of that original 490 years that was left to be fulfilled. It is that week that is of interest to you and I today. For that 483 years has already been fulfilled. But there are seven years of Daniel 70 weeks that are yet to come. This is known as the tribulation. And he speaks of it in Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 27 when he says that this week would be marked by a covenant that's going to be confirmed. And in the midst of that week, he's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. He said there would come a definite time in which that a week would begin by a covenant that would be made with the nation of Israel and its surrounding neighbors that would mark that 70th week or that final seven years. Now, 
I don't have time today. It would take a series in and of itself to deal with the whole scope of that seven years. Those seven years give to us a, a lot of interest. We read in the book of Revelation there, there's, there's a lot of images that rise from Daniel's vision and, and John's vision. There's, there's all kinds of things that transpire. You read in John's book, he talks about horses that are riding. He talks about beasts that are rising out of the sea and he describes them as multi-headed creatures that rise up in dominance. And, and then he, he speaks about a, a, a man who comes and is crowned as a world leader and then that worship is made to him and his mark is demanded to be taken. And then there's that ominous time in which if there is a refusal of that mark that there is instant death and this time culminates with what we have learned to call as the battle of Armageddon in which there is that final clash between good and evil as I stood in that valley a few years ago and I looked across the vast expanse of that valley and our tour guide pointed out the fact that this will be the place that that final battle is fought. I could just imagine in my mind John seen as those those armies of good and evil begin to clash together and it becomes the ultimate battle that destroys evil and unrighteousness in this present world. So we're left with a lot of questions. Just what does all this mean? What is all of these images that rise, horses that ride? What is all this about with this mark and all of these things that transpire? Time would fail me to go into all of it today, but if you would allow me for just a moment to break it down in three simple segments today. I call it the three W's of the tribulation. I believe that those three W's answer the questions you and I have concerning this ominous time of darkness and dreadfulness that is yet to come. We will talk today about what will happen in the tribulation. Why does the tribulation happen? And more importantly, when does this moment take place? Let's begin for just a moment and discuss with, with, with one another here today what will happen during the tribulation. Understand that these seven years that are yet in our future but knocking at our door is the result of, of a secular society, a humanistic community that has caused God to be banished from our midst and prayer has been taken out of our schools and out of public discourse and God has been sidelined and religion has been walked upon. And when you come to these seven years, this, this seven years is, is known as the tribulation and it's, it's mankind's final attempt to build a system without God. To build a system without God's presence. To build a system without God's hand. 
we see that very first human government in Genesis chapter 11 when we see the Tower of Babel when it was erected and its tower reached unto heaven and they built it to make a name for themselves. That was the beginning of man's human system and it has continued throughout time all the way to this present moment as man tries to build a system that does not have God involved in it. Now that is what the tribulation will be. Those seven years is going to be a human system and a human structure that leaves God out of the picture, that leaves God out of the equation, trying to build a utopia, a place of peace, a place that has everything together, yet does not have God in the midst. This week begins with one man stepping onto the world stage that has the answer to all of the world's difficulties. He rises out of chaos and confusion. He steps into the limelight of world governments. And his first act of business is to solve the tension in the Middle East. And he brokers a covenant between the nation of Israel and her Arab neighbors. Now we've seen some of that down through the years. Various covenants made with a few. And in the last year or two, the Abraham Accords that was made with some of the Gulf states. But this man is going to step on the scene and he's going to broker a deal through for the entire community, bringing peace with Israel, possibly causing that final temple to be built upon the temple mount and thereby allowing Israel to worship her God the way that she has designed. Daniel 9 and 27 speaks of it. We've already looked at it. It says, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. He makes an agreement with Israel and he brings about peace and now all the world is looking to him. This is the man that's got the answers. This is the man that knows how to get things done. The only problem with this man is he's a man of great deception. He has sinister designs. He wants to establish and build a kingdom for himself. He achieves this. We see it in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. If you have time, go there and read sometime. You read of those hideous beasts rising up out of the sea, that multi-headed creature of, of leopards and bears and lions and all kinds of things that rise up. And it represents this collaboration of nations that's coming together, a union that comes together headed by this one man that we ultimately know as the Antichrist. And here he begins to craft world policy. He begins to put together procedures that affect everything in life. His main, main claim to fame will be the fact that he'll bring the economic situation under control. And he creates a one world currency. Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 16 that this is what he will do. He will cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. The purpose of this is that no man might buy or sell save that he has a mark 
or the name of the beast or the number of his name, bringing a level playing field to the currencies of our world, causing all to operate under the same currency, causing it all to be an electronic process done by just merely a mark in the the hand or the forehead. He's going to be such a mastermind that even the religious system is going to fall into alignment with him. You'll read in that same 13th chapter of the book of Revelation that there's a man called the false prophet that rises up. He is the religious system and he gives credence to this man. Revelation 13 and 15 says that he had power to give life unto an image that he made of the beast or the Antichrist. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should all be killed. And so now the religious system has joined in with this man that has come to the world stage. And an image is built of him and the religious system says all must not only take his mark, but all must worship him and fall before him. Now, understand that this man has got these sinister designs and he believes his own press report that he indeed is God. And Paul writes concerning him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 4 when he says that this man opposeth and he exalteth himself above all that is called God. And that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And so he takes the temple that he has caused to be built through the agreement that he's made with the nation of Israel and its Arab partners around it. And now he moves into that temple and he sits down in it and he proclaims that I am Indeed, God, and I am the one that is to be worshipped. Understand that this is not just a normal man. This is not just somebody from off of your block. This is not just somebody from across your street. This is one who has opened himself to diabolical powers. This is a man that has given himself to the will of Satan. Paul, when he describes him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 3, he calls him the man of sin that's going to be revealed. He calls him the son of Perdition or judgment, he describes him in the seventh verse of that second chapter of Second Thessalonians as the mystery of iniquity. There's two mysteries in Scripture. One's the mystery of godliness. That's God becoming man. But then he describes the mystery of iniquity. That's man trying to become God. He goes on in the eighth verse and he calls him that wicked that wicked, he is so corrupt and he is so vile and he is so evil. In fact, John writes concerning this man in Revelation 13 and 2 and he just kind of pulls the, 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 the covers back and he describes him in his raw essence and he says it's the dragon that gave him his power and his seat 
and His great authority. And then He tells us in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 2 who that dragon is. That dragon's the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. In other words, this man has become a diabolical pawn of Satan himself because you see, Satan's design has always been to receive worship. If you go back to the very beginning, the whole revolt in heaven was about him being able to lift himself above the throne of God, setting himself above God, receiving the worship that came to God. And when he met the Lord in the wilderness and he tempted him, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And so this is the ultimate end of Satan himself in possessing this man that has given himself to this this evil way to sit here and make himself God. It's his way of becoming God and trying to receive worship. But understand that this man feels like now that he has received the accolades of the entire world. He has received the approval of the religious system and all is worshiping him and he makes his ultimate move in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 19 when he said, I saw the beast, that antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. His final move is, not only will I be worshipped as God, but I am going to fight against God. I'm going to war against Him and prevail. That is a move He should never make because it will not end well for this one who has decided to set himself in the seat of God. For Revelation 19 and 20 tells us the end of the story when it says the beast was taken and him and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him and which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse whose sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh because at the end of the day our Lord triumphs and victory comes. I understand it looks like evil's prevailing. I understand it looks like it's rising. I understand it looks like secularism and humanism is prevailing in our schools and in our government. And I get it. And I understand it looks like that evil is on the uprise. But that's not the end of the book. That's not the final chapter. There is an ultimate conclusion to this in which the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords shall ultimately prevail Hear me today, ladies and gentlemen. There's only one that's worthy of worship. And that's Him that sits upon the only throne. And His name is Jesus. Is anybody glad you know who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Is anybody glad you know who is God of all? Praise God. That brings us to a second question today is... We know what will happen. An evil kingdom shall rise. An evil kingdom shall push itself and cause all to worship. But there's a second question that I think we need to respond to today. And 
That's simply why. Why is there these seven years? Why has God carved out of His calendar? Why has He taken these seven years and placed them specifically here at the end of an age? In this climatic moment, what is the purpose of it. Now we know that it's going to be the development of an evil kingdom. We understand the Antichrist is going to rise during this time and make himself out to be God. But the question is, is why does all of this happen? Because simultaneously with this evil kingdom, all of the world coming together under one head, all taking a mark, that they can buy and sell all bowing in worship and if they don't their life is at stake and death is soon to come if they do not bow before this one that sets upon his own throne and so the question is why is all of this happening because simultaneously with all of this cataclysmic things are transpiring now we've seen a world that has been disrupted in the last two years. Can, can I get a witness? This, I mean, it's, 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 it's been disrupted, has it not? I mean, since March of 2020, this thing's been turned on its head. It's disrupted everything. It's messed everything up. But you, 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 you've, you've just saw just, just a, a small fraction part of the disturbance that something can bring to a world. Look at the cataclysmic things that begin to take place while this evil kingdom is rising and establishing itself and forcing worship upon all of the world because during this time, Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 8 and chapter 9 and in chapter 16, it gives to us some symbolism here of trumpets and vials. And as these trumpets sound, And as these vials are poured out, judgment and wrath happens. In fact, in Revelation chapter 16 and verse number 1, it tells us that these trumpets and vials is the wrath of Almighty God. In other words, the cataclysmic things that we're reading of in the book of Revelation is the result of God's Wrath. Now, that doesn't fit with your picture and my picture of God. We would much rather talk about the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the hope of God. We would much rather talk about arms that reach out and stretch toward us. Rather, Revelation chapter 16 describes these things and cataclysmic things that happen as being the direct result of the wrath of God. I don't have time, but just look for a moment. Hail, fire that destroys trees and grass, sea that becomes blood, sea life that dies and ships that are destroyed, waters that are made poison by a star called wormwood that falls from the atmosphere. Locusts are unleashed. Sores break out upon the population of the earth. Mankind is scorched by a heat of a sun that is unknown from any other time. This is a cataclysmic thing that takes place and it's all put under the heading as being the wrath of God. Let me make it very clear that this seven years 
carved out yet a future event is for the purpose of God pouring wrath out upon a world that has rejected Him, that has not regarded Him, that has not revered Him, that has not respected Him. Read Paul's writings concerning this moment in the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 10 when he talks about these that perish as a result of their worship to this evil man. He said it's because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God sends them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words, this seven years that is carved out is God's wrath upon a sinning world that is systematic removed him, that has systematically taken him out of the picture, that has systematically destroyed the very thought and concept and idea of God. Can I tell you, we are in troublesome times right now and all of the little things that are taking place and happening, they're not just coincidence. It's a society trying to get rid of God because God is restrictive to that society. But you want to know why? You want to know why the seven years are at the end of the age? You want to know why he leaves that at the very tail end of the calendar? Why he puts it off just as long as he can put it off? It's because he's a God that is so merciful, a God that is so long-suffering, a God that is so patient, a God that is so gracious, a God that is so kind. It is said concerning Noah and his generation that he waited 120 years while the ark was preparing so that many could get on that ark and only eight were saved, but he waited 120 years. Can I tell you what God's doing right now? He's waiting for one more to say, I want to commit my heart. I want to turn my life. I want to turn my soul. He's waiting for one more to say, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fleeing. I'm tired of doing it my own way. He's waiting for one more to say, I want to find the cross. I want to find the blood. I want to find the name. I want to find that precious power of the Holy Ghost. That's why that seven years is at the end of the calendar, at the end of the age, because His arms are stretched out still, saying, I welcome you to the foot of Calvary. But Scripture tells us four times in the book of Revelation, in chapter 9 and chapter 16, that even though these judgments were poured out, that they repented not. And yet, Revelation 16 and 11 says they understand that these judgments are from God. And they blaspheme God of heaven because of their plan, their pains and their sores. And they repented not of their deeds. That in spite of knowing that these was the judgment of God during this time, Scripture says they repented not of their sins. Oh, hear me today. The greatest thing that could happen is for us to hear the welcoming plea of the blood of Calvary and find our way in to that precious 
covering flow that knows how to wash our sin and make it white as snow and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me just pause here for a moment because I feel the presence of the Lord in this room right now to tell you there's no sin He cannot cover. There's no difficulty He can't put under the blood. There is no problem we've ever been involved in that His name cannot atone for. You don't need to wait for some end of the age moment. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. But here is the third W that I'd like for us to look at today. We know what will happen. We know that it's going to be an evil kingdom that shall rise. We know that it's going to be a man that is driven by diabolical powers that will cause all the world to come after him and even worship him taking over every system of the world politically, religiously, economically, militarily, bringing it all into its grasp, controlling it from one central place, causing all the world to bow before Him. We know what's going to happen. We know why it's happening because of God's wrath and judgment upon this present world. But the question is this, is when will this moment transpire? When in that prophetic calendar is it going to happen? We preached last week when we talked about this precious promise of the coming of the Lord that no man knoweth the day nor the hour. We concluded last week with the the, the idea that we must just be ready for the coming of the Lord because the great first event that will transpire is the rapture of the church. That's the first great moment that's going to take place. And then the world is going to plunge into this ominous darkness and dreadfulness that will come upon it. This is what I think you and I need to understand as we look at these seven final years. And Paul explains it well in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 9 when he says, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation By our Lord Jesus Christ. Why did He not appoint us to wrath? And appointed us to obtain salvation. Because He died for us. Whether we wake or sleep. We should live together with Him. In other words Paul says. That it's not God's purpose. To pour His wrath out. Upon His church. His body. His bride. His people. His temple. The judgment of the church. Begins at the house of the Lord. That's where we deal with our sin. We deal with it at the cross. We deal with it with the blood. We deal with it at that place of mercy as we kneel before God. That's where we deal with our sin. God has not appointed the church, the body, the bride, the temple to this time of wrath. Paul will continue on in the book of Thessalonians and he'll write in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 1 and he writes concerning now things we have been talking about when he says, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Don't be shaken in your mind or be troubled by spirit or by word or by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. He said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. Now here is what he tells us about these coming moments. He said, except there be a falling away. I believe we are in that moment of a falling away right now. 
We're falling away from every moral structure, every, every decent thing. We're falling away from, from basically common sense. Can I get a witness today? We're falling away from all kinds of stuff that's taking place in this present world. There shall be a falling away. And then he said, that man of sin is going to be revealed. This son of a petition, a perdition, and he describes him as though he who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that's called God or that's worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And now Paul will come along and he will explain this process in verse number five. When he says, remember ye not that when I was with you, he said, I told you about these things. He said, now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. He said, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He said, only there is something that is restraining him. And that mystery of iniquity can't come into full fruition until that which is restraining him is taken out of the way. And then, when that restraining force is removed, he said, then is that wicked going to be revealed that the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you where we are right now. We are at the very threshold of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are seeing the mystery of iniquity already in operation. We are seeing... The seeds being planted and the stage being set. Things are happening at such a rapid pace right now. Just in the last two years with the pandemic and, and turning our world up on its head. Things that are transpiring. We're seeing the development of, of, of government control. We're seeing how it could possibly be that, that we could come under a control of a system where we would have to give an account and we would have to be accountable. And, 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 and we, we, we understand smartphones and all that stuff. That, 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 that they're, 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 they got ears and eyes and stuff and all kinds of things. I don't want to get all that. But, but, but we, we understand all that stuff that's kind of tracking, that's knowing what we're doing. We're, we're seeing the, the system that's already in place right now. Things that are happening. You, you, just, just, go, just go Google things that are happening about little chips and, and, and things that are being planted in the hand that companies are already doing this, putting, putting little chips in the palms of their employees' hands and allowing them to open the doors to their offices and, and be able to control access in, in factories and in, and in environments where people are working already by just the swiping of, of the hand. I, I have an eye watch on my wrist today. And I have my credit cards tied to that eye watch. And uh, I, 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 can, I can just take that watch and turn it over that little card reader at the counter. And my card is instantly read right there. You can imagine it going from here to here or to here. It's just already being set. Things are already beginning to fall into place as we see all of this in this COVID atmosphere that we're in. Apps are being developed. Some countries are trying them. Some places are, are in the experiment mode of them that 
chips are being planted so that you will be able to wave your hand over some sensor going into a business to tell them about your COVID exposure and, 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 and what you've been around in the last so many hours. All of that is happening even right now. They're talking about our federal government right now. It's talking about a digital currency where that we would do away with cash and we've seen it in this, this COVID epidemic where many stores are putting up signs that we don't take cash, only, only credit cards and, and it's, it's getting to where that you have to use that form of payment in a lot of places. All of these things is the mystery of iniquity already at work. We're seeing all of this stuff starting to be set up and the stage is starting to take its place. Uh, but hear me, in these closing moments of time, we are in the greatest moment that we've ever been in in all our life for God to do a great work uh, of the Holy Ghost. Because he said there is something in this world right now that's restraining this diabolical power from going full-blown. There's something in this world right now that's keeping things from coming completely together. And it's called the church of the living God. God's church is called by His name. And He said, whoever has my name has power over powers of darkness that they shall tread upon serpents. They shall walk upon adders and nothing shall by any means hurt them. In this present hour that we're in right now, the church is still occupying the stage and we hold the name of Jesus Christ to triumph victory is still present in the hour that we are in right now. But Paul said, when that restraining force is taken out of the way, when that restraining force is removed, all of these elements that we're seeing come together will happen in a moment of time. Can you imagine the chaos that will happen when God takes His church out of this world? It'll be the perfect stage for one man to step up and say, I've got the answer. I know how to bring it all together. I, how to, I know how to make it all happen. I know how to bring the answers to all of this. But hear me, friend. I don't want to be there. I want to go up in that great catching away of the bride of Christ. That's the reason why we must be ready. We must be ready. There was in every hour to be ready. It's right now there was ever a moment to prepare our hearts, to prepare our lives, and to prepare our minds. It's in the moment that we're in right now with so much stuff happening around us, so many things transpiring. I was talking to my son last night on the phone. He's in Mississippi. As we speak this morning, he's trying to go back to New Zealand as soon as their budget is raised. They thought they were going to open the borders in April. And he said, Dad, the borders aren't going to get open now to October. He said, I'm the last group that could be allowed in the nation. It's control that's taking place. We're, we're seeing all of this begin to happen and begin to transpire in our world right now. If there was ever a time to find our way to the cross of Calvary, to that crimson flow of the blood of Jesus Christ. If there was ever a time to kneel at that cross and to lift our hands and say, God, 
Wash me. Cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. It's in the moment we are right now. For Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 44, Therefore, be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man is going to come. There is an appointment on the calendar. There is those seven years at the end of the age. It's going to be filled with such corruption and filth and such iniquity and sin. We'll talk about the finality of those seven years next week as we talk about that perfect peace, the kingdom that Christ will set upon the earth. But hear me today, friend. I don't want to wait for that. I got a moment today at the cross of Calvary. I can repent of my sins. I can be buried in the precious name of Jesus Christ. I can receive the wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what He's calling us for today. I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me today all over the building, across this place? Would you stretch your hands toward heaven? Would you reach up toward the Lord of glory even now? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in the house right now. Feel the presence of the Lord settling on this building. Feel Jesus with His hands of mercy and long-suffering reached out across this place, welcoming, receiving, saying, Oh, come, come unto me, all ye that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, and I'll take your load. I'll cover it. I'll wash. I'll cleanse. I'll fill. I'll make your life complete. I don't want to pour out my wrath. I don't want to pour out all of my judgment. I want to give you mercy and long-suffering today. Would you do it with me now? Would you just reach your hand up toward the Lord? You have been listening to an audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center located in Norman, Oklahoma. We are located at 3221 North Porter Avenue, Norman, Oklahoma, 73071. Our service times are Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m., And we also have various ministries happening on Wednesday night. For more information, visit our website, www.awcnorman.com. Call us at 405-329-1285 or email us at info at awcnorman.com. We hope that this recording has been a blessing to you.